Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group, and this is a national commercial real estate podcast which presents real estate professionals and attorneys who create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues, explanations of sophisticated real estate problems, current developments, and entertaining discussion. Today, we are talking about getting back to work. We have a fantastic guest. This is Antonia Cardone. She is America's lead of total workplace for Cushman and Wakefield. So we have a really just a tremendous guest here in Antonia. Uh, like I said, I mean, she's America's lead of total workplace workplace uh, for one of the largest real estate full service companies in the world. And what's fascinating about our discussion today is we're, we're recording this in late April, probably get it up here around the, around the beginning of May. And many states are going back to work. Many states are considering when to go back to work. But it looks like at some point, a lot of offices will reopen and we will have to go back to work when a lot of the health conditions or all of them continue to persist. And so the question is, how do we do that? How do we do it safely? How do we minimize risk? And what's wonderful about Antonia is she's already helped numerous companies in China and other parts of the world get back to work. And so she has some practical experience uh, personally and through her colleagues. You can help explain how we do that. Uh, Antonia leads the workplace strategy and change management practice. She's based in San Francisco. She's deeply experienced and committed to excellence thought leadership. Her list online is just incredible of the clients she has served. I encourage you to take a look at her resume. It's far too long and, and too fantastic for me to read right here. But trust that if you uh, want to look it up, it, it is really remarkable, the list of, of clients she has served and what she's, she's done. So I think you're really going to enjoy this. I know that I certainly did. Um, Cushman Wakefield has a how-to guide for how to be ready to, for companies to get back to work. It's published on Cushman Wakefield's website. You can, she talks about it during the, during the interview. Uh, but you can't access it. We're going to throw a link up to the Cushman Wakefield website in our show notes. And so I really hope you enjoy this interview. If you want to get in touch with me, my email address is philip.coover at icemiller.com. You can look me up online and thanks for listening today. Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover, partner with Ice Miller, the Real Estate Practice Group. Today we have Antonia Cardone. She is America's lead of total workplace for Cushman and Wakefield. Cushman and Wakefield is a very large full-service real estate company, and we have we are lucky to have Antonia, America's lead of total workplace, here today to talk to us about how to get back to work. So, Antonia, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to be here. Antonia, I imagine this is a very busy time for you. We're just to date this. We're recording this on April 28th. So we're right now, you know, most states have been in a shelter in place or under a shutdown order of sorts. And we're now entering a phase when people are starting to think, offices are starting to think about getting back to work. I imagine this is an extremely busy time for you. It certainly is. Yes, I think um, my workload has certainly ramped up and I look forward to uh, either becoming more capable of completing it quickly or uh, it it phasing back a little bit. Right. And, you know, before we get in, we want your help discussing the thought process of getting the 
everyone back to work. But tell us a little bit about how you came to be America's lead at Total Workplace and uh, just your background. Where did, where did you come from and how did you get to where you are today? Certainly. Happy to talk about that. So our Total Workplace uh, function at Cushman and Wakefield deals with the entire uh, need base of our occupiers. Um, the people who actually sit in our work environment. So it ranges from all of the services that are impactful to those people, from space and occupancy planning through to design, uh, project management, workplace strategies, change management, etc. So we think about the broad range of services that we bring to our clients and we bundle all that together under the under the term total workplace. So um, no, I represent that breadth of services that we can bring to our clients. And as for how I got here, uh, clearly I'm a Southern girl. You can tell I have a funny accent. I'm from deep, deep South, South Australia, any further South and you get to Antarctica. Um, so you know, I was educated there, um, educated as an architect. Um, when I was in school, I recognized that I loved the whole design process as well as had capabilities in, in math and, and other more analytical uh, pursuits. And so architecture seemed to be a good combination of that. And, and in college, I realized that there were some really very, very talented people at design um, and that wasn't me. So I looked for alternatives and other areas where I could make a contribution and uh, that led me down this kind of uh, strategy planning, business consulting kind of direction. And uh, I managed to get an opportunity at, a, at an architecture firm, full service architecture firm in Australia, where they were developing really a new consulting service called strategic facility planning. And um, I managed to get an opportunity with them and, uh, and have pursued that and really have been on the same trajectory for my whole career. We've called it lots of different things along the way. Um, I had several years in Australia in, in that role, and then um, a few years in Asia based in Hong Kong, doing a, s a similar role again, very much focused on the work environments for people in, in the Asia Pacific region, and then um, relocated to San Francisco in the year 2000, where I've been um, pursuing the same direction and, uh, and now um, lead for Total Workplace at Cushman and Wakefield, where I've been for about six years. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for taking the time to walk us through that. That's a really interesting path you've taken. And we find ourselves in very interesting times. Um, I would imagine, you know, the during March and beginning of April, you, were, you and Cushman Wakefield were taking a lot of calls about how do we get businesses to operate remotely, but how is Cushman Wakefield uh, helping clients prepare for returning to work right now? Yeah, that's very true. We we did start this with uh, everybody thinking about working from home. Um, fortunately, ourselves as an organisation, many of us were capable of just uh, picking up a few pieces of equipment and heading home and, and carrying on. Uh, and that's what we've continued to do. But I know many organisations didn't have such a smooth transition to working from home. So we were very instrumental in helping some of our clients in the, in the early days of this program. Um, but now that um, story has changed a little. We are certainly now looking forward to returning to work in some capacity. And so um, you know, the way we are really helping our clients most effectively right now is in providing information. Um, now is not the time for hoarding knowledge. We are here to share what we know 
we have been uh, deeply involved in getting uh, about a million people back to work in China over the last few months in about 800 million square feet of space for about 10,000 companies. And so we did a lot of learning through that experience. Uh, and there are some things that are directly applicable from that experience that we can share with our clients here in the Americas. And other things that we uh, we have learned uh, you know, through various other uh, parts of our business. Uh, we, we also have strength in EMEA and our um, our friends there have had different experiences that we can also bother, borrow from. So you know, sharing is certainly uh, what we're focused on. Uh, we have produced a recovery readiness how-to guide that captures our perspective with a whole range of suggestions for what needs to be done to prepare for returning to work in the Americas. It really is sort of broken into a couple of sections. The first one deals with preparing for day one, and that includes Inter interactions between landlord and tenants in planning for, for how they'll come back and occupy buildings. Um, and then it goes on and, and section two deals with sort of day one and beyond what happens when you actually arrive. So protocols, new behaviours that are expected of, of uh, occupants as they move through space um, in order to make ourselves as safe as possible. And then the last section of that guide uh, deals with some ideas about what's coming next, you know, further down the line. If we can lift our heads for a moment and be a little bit visionary, uh, can what, what can we see in the future? And just um, by the way, uh, for your listeners, that that guide is available on, on our website, cushmanandwakefield.com. Um, just register and you can certainly download a copy of that. It's about 35 pages of good stuff, I would say. It's great stuff. And I... I did get my hands on a copy. I sent it to our managing partner as soon as I had it because I just thought it was really, it's some of it's common sense, some of it's practical, some of it's really good insight. Um, and I shouldn't say common sense because we've never considered some of these things. But I think sometimes really good ideas are so easy to understand immediately that you just, you think that they're common sense, but that's how you know it's a really good idea. Um, but I also really... I like that you all are not hoarding the knowledge. I think that's really important because you, you see people and companies and different careers that want to keep proprietary information to themselves um, unless you pay for it. And then I think what you're, what you all are doing is admirable that you have this experience from helping companies in China over the past month or two or three um, getting back to work. And you, you want to share it because I'm sure – you feel strongly that it's um, in everyone's best interest to do it, do it right, or do it the best as we can. Certainly, yes, and you know our document is not just a cut and paste from from a Chinese manual by any means. Um, you know, it's it's all been authored um, by local local experts, and who have you know contributed their best thinking to that document. Um, yes, we had some prompts from our friends and reminders of, of our colleagues who've had experiences there. This is, you know, definitely uh, a, an America's-based document um, that, in fact, um, I would say it even is a global document. There are, there are good practical suggestions there no matter which country you're in and uh, and which workforce you're, you're dealing with. And, you know, within it, uh, the document itself is – you know, when I picked it up, I thought it was going to be just very much like those emails that we started to see in, 
in March where there's like, oh yeah, we you know we're sanitizing things, we're wiping things down. Feel please come to our establishment. But it's much more in depth than that. It kind of goes through all the steps, even covering things like preparing workers mentally for getting back into the office. Um, but one of the other things I saw in there is we've heard a lot about the six foot office or six feet office, I should say. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that concept? Yes, absolutely. So the six feet office was an innovative um, concept developed by our colleagues in, in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Um, a couple of clever people got together and um, were with, with thinking about how they might solve some of these issues and, and began to conceptualize a new work environment uh, and, and quickly rallied to make it a reality and to record that. You can, you can see some video about that uh, if, you, if you search on the internet. Um, but essentially, it's a collection of principles that apply uh, to, to every place where people gather, really. Um, and and the, the, the principles are straightforward. Um, firstly, to, to do a quick scan of the work of the environment uh, to determine what challenges are really needing to be solved. Um, and, you know, where, where do we need to address um, this need for social distancing between people and minimizing touch points in the work environment. Um, then to you know, apply a collection of, of, of good principles that enable people to be apart from each other to keep that distance and a collection of rules of, of conduct protocols, if you like, that, that will enable them to, to keep their distance um, and to uh, be respectful of each other as they move through the work environment. And as they move through, to have sort of predefined routes through the through the office space, if you like, um, you know, maybe choosing clockwise or counterclockwise, uh, maybe indicating a pathway to move through the space, so that we can minimise passing between individuals, and then to focus on the individual seat, you know, the the workstation principles. Um, how do we ensure that surfaces there are principally wipeable? Um, that uh, you know there are no or, or minimize the amount of uh, shared um, materials that we handle there so that each individual can keep their things um, you know to themselves and, and avoid the touch of others. And then finally, you know somebody and, and support in the work environment to help remind occupants that these practices are something that need to become habitual at least for a while uh, and to can keep, um, paying attention to directions of travel and avoiding touching things and keeping distance from each other, etc. So, a collection of principles that have been applied there, and in fact, uh, are becoming universally ap applicable. We're we're looking at applying these for many of our clients uh, today, and and looking at what adjustments might need to happen in their work environments to enable them to get back to work. So, um, it's, for us, it just one more point there. For us, it, it's an ongoing living lab. And we continue to make adjustments to modify based on what we learn. Uh, we're working on relationships with um, uh, people who make deliveries to our work environments um, and, you know, service providers of other types to ensure that we minimise touch points, enable our, us to keep our distance and, um, and to move through and back to work in a, in a safe, as safe a way as possible. Yeah, no, it's it's really smart just thinking about when you're breaking it down to all these steps and talking about flow. It's almost got a little bit of feng shui to it in terms of thinking about how everything moves around. Yes. Um, 
Uh, when we think about what the future of work will be like, uh, what do we know about how people are working from home now? Yeah, well, as we plan for the future, where are we starting from is really that question, right? So so what do we know about people today? How are we managing? I could tell you my own personal anecdotes. You could tell me yours. But, you know, if we're leaders of organizations with hundreds or maybe even thousands of people, how do we know how people are feeling about this situation? And, you know, frankly, we are going to rely on people having confidence in order to come back to work. So we developed a diagnostic tool called Experience Per Square Foot at Home. Um, the at home is a modification. Uh, we have Experience Per Square Foot survey that we were using with our clients uh, in months gone by when we were testing the experience of what it was like to be in the workplace. Now we're testing the experience of what it's like to be working from home. And um, that's that's been a really interesting survey uh, we have about 160,000 people today taking that survey or having taken that survey, um, and we're about to begin a more detailed analysis of, of our findings there. But we have, we have noticed a few things. Um, certainly, collaboration is up, um, and, and using you know, our collaborative tools, uh, our video conferencing capabilities, our document sharing capabilities are enabling us to do that. But the connection between colleagues is down. Um, you know, just the ability to wave, smile, have a quick hello as you're passing each other in the in the work environment, that's not happening. Of course, if you actually want to engage with somebody, you need to make an appointment for a half-hour meeting with them tomorrow. You know, we need to be very deliberate about that. So that casual connection is down, but collaboration's way up. Um, yeah. We're also – yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was just thinking while you're talking, it's so interesting is, you know, there are studies of office environments that have created office situations where people get around the water cooler or whatever, and how conversation and creativity is stimulated by these casual interactions. Hey, what are you working on, Bob? You know, um, and you, yeah. you talk about it and we just aren't having that anymore. No. Like that you, you, just like you said, you have to be deliberate when you want to talk and schedule a time. Um, I found my standing meetings are way up. You know, I have standing meetings with team members. Oh, hey, let's get together Monday at two, uh, just so we don't have to go through the the hassle of a bunch of emails just to, to peg a time when we can talk to people. Um, yes. But it also occurs to me that it's good that you're doing that survey because everyone's experience is so we're all in this together. We're all going through it, but we're all going mm -hmm. through it so differently. Like my yes. experience sitting two feet away from my wife, also a lawyer, um, and having kids around, you know, I, I don't feel as isolated probably as some people who don't have that experience. In fact, you know, we're, yeah. we're a little too close sometimes working, <laughs> working on top of each other. Um, but, you know, I, I do have somebody to, to say something like, oh, did you see that news article, you know, that just came up? Um, but yeah, we're all, it, it's a very, we all have similar, but but also very different experiences right now. Yeah, yeah, and we've, we've learned some really interesting things. We, we've learned that uh, millennials and younger people in the workforce are actually struggling with this situation, not because they're not familiar with the technology and are able to get themselves around it. They certainly can, but, um, you know, they're, they're struggling a little more with focus and, you know, sort of uh, paying attention to... Um, movement and a sense of renewal and motivation. Um, 
you know, they're they're sometimes struggling with distraction. Um, so, you know, we know that our, our millennials are not, ha- and our younger people in our workforce are not having as good an experience as as some of the seasoned professionals in the workplace. Um, we also know that some of those people don't have conducive, or many people don't have conducive places to work. So maybe they, they might be in a small apartment on their own. Uh, loneliness can very quickly become an issue. Um, they may be in a crowded place where they can't get an opportunity for, for focus and concentration because of the degree of distraction with the movement of other people in the household. So um, it, it, it is very interesting uh, that that it's not the technological capabilities, it's actually sort of the more social context and the community aspects that they're suffering with a little bit more than we expected at this point. Right. Yeah, I know. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking as I kind of look at what we want to talk about next is just we have this period where we're at home, but I think very soon the office is going to be back open. And whether it depends on what state you're in and whether or not you feel comfortable going back to work is another thing. But, I, you know, that goes to some of the issues you're addressing. Um, some people may, may be able to work from remotely from home. And you guys discussed that in your, your preparedness guide. But also, um, but let's say the office is open and we are going back where the health condition of the pandemic still persists. It's still there in the world, yes. whether or not the office is open. So what, what can we actually do when we get back into our offices? Yeah, well, just just perhaps before we get, get back into the office, we might uh, think a little bit about who goes back to the office. And then, then I'll talk a little bit further about um, what happens when we get there. Um, so, you know, we're thinking very carefully about uh, sort of assessing how people come back. And of course, every business is 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 thinking about things in their own way. We've heard some of our clients saying, "Oh, well, we're going to invite ten percent back, and then twenty five percent, etc., and and make a progressive return to work." Um, well, then, you know, very quickly, the next question that follows is, "Well, which ten percent?" That all sounds very, you know, it's a very easy statement to make, and then when you really need to determine which ten percent, um, it becomes a little more challenging. So we've thought pretty carefully about about you know who needs to come back, uh, who perhaps shouldn't come back, and those who might be able to uh, to to go either way. And so you know we think that there's well we know that there is a proportion of the workforce that really are not suited to coming back to the workplace when there is still the threat of of you know infection and and um, the virus in our society. And they're the people who, who perhaps have a health issue. Uh, they might be immunocompromised um, or, or you know, some other issue related to their own personal health that uh, would, would preclude them from being safe in that kind of place. Um, other folks who should not come back, perhaps some people who have uh, some caretaking role, caregivers to other people in their families, perhaps, or um, you know, children who have not yet returned to school, that, that kind of function. So they have a, a, a higher priority uh, perhaps uh, than, than coming back to work based on their needs to care for others. Um, and then the, the other group uh, who, who perhaps should, should not come back are those people who would be um, unduly exposed uh, in, in commute to work. And so when we begin to take 
that proportion of people out of our workforce. We're dealing then with people who who um, absolutely can come back and perhaps must or need to come back and those who have choices to make. So of those who, who need to come back, certainly people who require um, specific tools or work from a lab or a manufacturing facility or something along those lines that really actually can't work from another place need to be um, in, in the work environment with the tools that they require. And then there are some people whose work practice is best done in the presence of others, uh, you know, some some medical workers, people perhaps who are involved in some, um, you know, sort of command centre situation or emergency operations where making an appointment to talk to somebody for a quick decision tomorrow will be too late and things need to move on more quickly. Perhaps people who are developing tools that will be useful for society at this point in time while we're dealing with the pandemic who need, you know, very rapid response times and in order to be together. So those people really, really need to come back, along with people who don't have another place to be productive, who really are are struggling to be productive anywhere else uh, and will be looking to the work environment as a place to focus and get things done. They'll be the ones who who really want to come back and, and need to come back. Um, so then there are all the other people that are in between who can work both productively from home or from the office. Um, and and who may have a good safe commute and transit options in order to get to and from, and uh, and they'll be the ones who can elect to perhaps go either way. So you know we're certainly counselling our clients to engage with their workforce to help run these filters, if you like. And our experience per square foot at home survey does help inform that, but it really requires that organisations are open to the perspective of their workforce. Uh, and enable people to make some choices personally rather than just uh, follow instruction and and, every, and everyone come back on Monday, for example. Um, so, so there's a subtlety there. Right. But when, when we think about what we actually do, when, what we can do for ourselves when we get back into the office, and if I take, take a very personal perspective here, as an individual, I'm coming back, what can I do? Um, and I certainly have mentioned some of these already, you know, maintain social distance. It's not rude to try and keep as far away from anybody else as you possibly can. And if you need to be in somebody's presence to be minimising that that uh, exposure to each other. So um, if, you need, if we're needing to speak to somebody at their desk, uh, you know, approaching but not getting too close, standing back and asking them if we can have a brief discussion. Uh, not, you know, stepping right up to them and and getting in their space, so to speak. So keeping that social distance, absolutely critical. Um, Some organisations are are even removing seats from meeting rooms or potentially even closing down some spaces where there might be porous materials or uh, small enclosures where one person might use the space and then immediately be swapped out with another person following behind them, essentially breathing the same air. So some of those kinds of spaces might temporarily go out of use. And then the whole idea about minimising touch points. Let's avoid printing, let's avoid the copier, let's uh, avoid touching things where we possibly can. Of course, we, you know, there are some things that need to be done, but anything we don't need to touch uh, with our hands, uh, we should do so. 
um, you know, leaning on doors to, to push them open, um, you know, using our, our feet or knees or elbows or, or what have you um, to avoid, you know, the, the sort of contact and particularly with surfaces that um, are smooth where, uh, you know, the virus can can reside for, for hours once it's uh, outside the body and then also for surfaces that are porous where any moisture can, can, um, can rest. And then in the event that we have somebody who exhibits symptoms in the workplace, um, it's important that that person can immediately isolate themselves. So there needs to be an agreement about a place for them to go um, to, to, to isolate and quarantine. And then, uh, you know, somebody in the work environment who is responsible for then taking action in relation to that, not necessarily interacting with the individual who's, who's exhibiting symptoms, but calling the appropriate authorities, whether that be emergency services, et cetera, perhaps organising the evacuation of the floor or, or whatever the situation might be. So we need, we need a, a plan in place for managing contamination and also for treating our, our, our PPE, our personal protective equipment. Um, you know, we don't want that lying around such that other people are coming into contact with something we may have been breathing on or, or, um, or you know, have, have our... Uh, have molecules uh, resting on. So there are some things that we can really personally do to take care of our own health when we get back. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that uh, those are really good practical tips. You know, I had thought about closing some of the rooms down. Um, I was talking with my wife the other day, like how to get to the bathroom because there's a shared key system and you have to put the key in the lock to get to the public right. restroom. I was like, well, I think, you know, you're going to have to grab a paper towel or a, a wipe, yes. you know, to, yes. to open those doors and you yes. might, which is, is even better than, you know, using your bare hands and then washing your hands. But you got, you kind of got to think through all those steps. Yes. And, um, you know, I think there's a, an article in the Wall Street Journal, it might have been yesterday about Wall Street just trying to get people back to work and how do you get people up and down elevators? Um, do you have like a stationary, uh, do you have an employee? that is mm -hmm. pushing the buttons for everyone, you know, mm -hmm. going, which is an old fashioned concept, uh, yes. to have an elevator operator. Yes. yes. Um, it's sort of the stuff of movies, isn't it? Where you have the, the person in a uniform with a, with a, you know, operating the elevator, but you know, that's, that's certainly a possible solution in some situations, you know, no, no, no occupants to touch anything. There is a designated person to touch things. That's all well and good when you're all lining up in the lobby waiting to get up. But what happens at 2.45 when you're ready to leave your own floor, for example, there's no attendant there. You need to step into the elevator. You know, what's the protocol for touching buttons? Maybe that's where the elbow becomes applicable, et cetera, et cetera. So each situation will have some uniqueness to it. And we're really going to need advanced teams to get in and to begin to sort of conceptualize these protocols and define them before the broader and larger workforce returns. Right. Just out of curiosity, from your experience, or do you envision people wearing masks and gloves to work? I think so. Yes, I think we are going to see that. I mean, I'm I'm based in San Francisco, as you mentioned. It is now a, a city order that anybody outside of their home in public is wearing a mask. And so, where does public stop? When I go back to work, as soon as I leave my home, I will be wearing. You know, if that order is still in place, which I anticipate it will be. Uh, that I will, you know, continue to wear a mask all the way to my desk. 
where does where does where does it stop being public? Um, and and maybe um, if it's a busy day, maybe I will leave my mask on much of the day. If it's a quiet day in the office, maybe I feel comfortable taking it off. But I I think we we'll, we will see a lot of mask use over the coming months. Yeah, yeah, and other countries are far ahead of us Indeed. in terms of socializing that concept and making it feel normal to yes, yeah. That way. You know, our, our colleagues in in China and uh, and in Hong Hong Kong in particular um, have had previous experiences. SARS, you might remember, um, in the early two thousands, you know, introduced the concept particularly to Hong Kong, and and I remember because I had I was recently departed from there. Um, and and interacted with lots of my friends about this issue. You know, wearing masks became very normal at that time, and so you know now they're back into that practice. It's not foreign um, for us in in, uh, in other parts of the world. It it feels unusual, but um, we'll get used to it, I believe. Yeah, I think we're already starting to, and I think the orders will help. I, I'm in Illinois and Chicago, and I, our order. Which I believe takes effect on May 1st, requires us to wear masks in public as well. Anyone who's over two, uh, so my two and a half year old daughter is, uh, she's not great at it yet, but we're getting better. We got our Mickey Mouse yeah. one. Uh, so Good Mickey way. Mouse part helps. Um, so, yes, I'm wondering if, if, if some of us will have one for every outfit. You know, will we have a whole wardrobe of masks? I don't know. I'm certain the sports teams are or have production lines cranking them out. Um, so what do you think is most important right now? Well, right now, you know, you mentioned we're right here at the end of April. Uh, I was on a call earlier today with some folks who were planning um, for, for people to be back, uh, you know, doors to be open next week um, in some, some parts of the country. I think what's really important at this stage is not to be too impatient. There are so many things we don't know about this virus and what it will do next, uh, whether it might mutate, uh, etc. Et how long it will be before we have treatments and vaccines, or universal and easy testing, affordable testing for for the individual to do themselves. There is just so much we don't know. So, so being impatient right now is is not a good trade. I would I would I would counsel. Um, and if if the work if our workforce is effective from home, I would I would say there's no urgency to bring them back. Um, of course, if if your business is is not having a good experience with people working from home, there's there's a there will be a little more impetus there. But for those who can and who are being just as effective, and some people feel they're even being more productive, um, let's let's let those people continue to to be uh, to be at home, be safe, and be productive. Then of course we need to prepare really carefully, and not just assume that someone's going to say everybody back to work on Monday and, and there'll be a rush. Right? It's going to be a slow and gradual return. Think of a very shallow wedge, where we're just gradually increasing over time, as the as our work environments are more capable of of accommodating us, as the teething problems are solved in, in getting people in and out of buildings. We spoke of elevate, elevators a moment ago. And as our personal confidence increases that, you know, safety is being taken seriously and, and that we will, be, we, we will be able to be as safe as possible um, in our workplaces. So patience, very careful preparation, 
very slow return and um, and certainly preparing the building. The time is now. There's nobody there. It's the best time to get in, um, clean, replace filters, um, you know, develop protocols, uh, implement sign, you know, install signage, all sorts of elements there. So getting the building ready for when the when folks return, and then also getting our people ready and our organisations. Um, do we have policies for for um, business travel as soon as we get back to work? Does that mean we're free to travel again? Do we want to make policies about that? Um, what about uh, you know how we notify the organisation if we're symptomatic? Um, you know, there's all sorts of policies that need to to be reconsidered in light of this infectious disease and pandemic. Um, so you know, we we certainly need to be planning for that. And then we need to prepare people so that they know what to do on the first first days back at work, what to bring, what not to bring. I took my laptop home. Some people took their chair or their monitors or something like that from the office. Do those things need to be decontaminated or sanitized in some way before we just introduce them back into what is supposedly a clean environment? What if I had an infected person in my home? What, what should or shouldn't I bring back to the office? So many things to think about and to prepare our workforce in anticipation of coming back. And what about food? What about the kitchen? Will, will we have those coffee pots that uh, that sit, sit on the burner all day and, and everybody just helps themselves? How many handprints go on that handle every day? How are we going to deal with that? You know, prepackaged elements, et cetera, are going to be to be in the in the work environment in a way that, in fact, many of us thought that we'd got rid of bottled water and those kinds of things, but will that be back? So, you know, what will people expect? Um, what will be provided for them? Uh, and are they ready? So lots of preparations to be done, but, but let's not be too impatient. Let's not try and get thousands of people back on the same day. Uh, that's, that's really good, great advice. Thanks for walking us through and sharing some of those considerations. I mean, I know just between my friend and I we were talking and we were, she was saying that she wanted to go right back to work. Um, you know, just wants to open it up. And I was like, I, I don't know. I think um, even if the office is open tomorrow, unless I have a need to get in there, I don't know if I'm going to go in the first day, you know, um, right. if I have to go probably, but if I, feel comfortable being at home. I don't feel um, too rushed. So I'm trying to exercise uh, your your caution of being not to be impatient. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're one of those those people who's not in the I absolutely can't go back and I absolutely must go back. You're one of those in between people and and to to wait and see a little bit is is prudent, I would say. And then um, you know I want to get you out of here and kind of this longer question, which is just um, so don't feel like you even just because I said this is the, the last question, don't, you don't have to answer, answer it quickly. But I want to talk about the future because I like um, dad is a big sci fi fan. And I, I think, you know, there are a lot of elements of science fiction. Yeah, that you can that have come to the forefront of my mind stories I haven't thought about in 20 years. Um, but what, what do you think in the long run? You know, what is the change to the office going to entail? And what could we, what do you envision? Yeah, well, firstly, I think technology is going to be our, continue to be our friend and enable us here. Um, there's going to be, you know, new ways to engage with our work environments. 
firstly, I personally would love to be able to log into an app and see how many people are anticipated to be on my floor in my building on any given day or any given moment. That might influence me whether I I am willing to take the risk of the commute um, and the exposure, you know, in public to get to my office. If I feel that the floor is already busy, or if it's already, or if it's going to, in fact, be quiet. So I think censoring, monitoring, reporting, and having that of that information available for our for our staff and our occupiers of space uh, will be a great enabler for people to make their own choices. I think voice activation, we're going to see um, uh, things responding to us that we didn't know, uh, understood. You know, we have Siri and Alexa and all those folks who, who can follow our commands at home and in other places, well, that we're going to see them show up in the office soon, I believe. Opening doors, um, you know, uh, automatically popping the refrigerator, you know, whatever it might be, I, I think uh, voice activation is, is coming quickly. Um, apps, QR codes, you know, the whole idea of the touchless office. Uh, I spoke of a couple of these ideas a little earlier, but, you know, can I just scan my phone uh, over a code on the printer and it, and it will print my document right there and then and all I have to do is actually hold the pages that I'm taking away with me. Um, you know, what, el what other elements in the work environment can be touchless if I'm going to use... Um, screens or projectors or something like that in a meeting in a meeting room uh, can I just uh, you know you know show it in my phone or, or, or something along those lines um, you know it recognizes me I'd reserve the room it it powers on I don't need to touch any buttons I don't need to engage in any way so I think um, you know technology is here to, to, to be our, our helper um, collaboration tools yes we all have uh, the ability to, to to video conference with somebody, but what happens when three people are in a meeting room in the office and the other seven people are at seven different locations, homes, for example? It, it's just those three people looking at one screen at the end of the meeting room doesn't feel very sort of balanced or, or fair, if you like. Those people on the on the phone, you know, just looking at three people in the room, perhaps in the in the shadows or not you know, not easy to see their face, how can we create that situation where we have some people in the room and some people remotely, but everybody feels sort of equally participating in the meeting? Um, you know, like like a whole collection of monitors at meeting tables um, instead mm -hmm. of people perhaps. So yeah. I think, you know, technology is going to solve a lot of hiccups for us. And then we have to ask ourselves, what's the role of the office? What's it for? If I can't come into the office and be in a great meeting with my colleagues or, or hang with people I enjoy or enjoy lunch with somebody I don't know so well and get to know them a little better, what are, what's it actually for if those kind of behaviours are, are, are not are suitable right now? To begin with, the office might begin, and that's when we first go back, as really a place for focus, especially for those people who can't focus effectively elsewhere they might be looking forward to getting back to work and able to concentrate and focus. In future, I think we're going to have new meeting habits. As I spoke of, you know, technology will enable that and we're going to think differently. I think some people are no longer going to be sitting in meeting rooms all day. Um, there'll be new habits around that. And I think there'll be new intentionality about distributed work practices, you know, sharing desks, uh, sharing the work environment, um, scheduling people in and out of offices um, and, you know, space inventory management. You know, current, currently, about half of our, our 
desks and seats in the office are empty at any given time. And that's a very rough sort of metric, but but it's it's pretty true. You know, most people can walk, walk through their typical offices and see half the seats unoccupied. That's that's costing our organizations a lot as we think about going into ec- economically challenged times. Are we going to want to continue to pay for space like that, that is so poorly used? This may be the grand opportunity to really shift that paradigm and to shift the way we think about space and how we use it. And then lastly, I think in the long run, we're going to see you know, differences around how we create community and culture in our work environments and our organisations. Internal social media, I think, is going to spike. I think we might see... Um, is that like Slack or one of those programs where you can talk? Yes, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those kinds of things where it's just those of us who are, who are, you know, in the same company have access to each other in ways that we can engage on a personal level. Um, you know, sort of imagine private private Instagram or something like that where it's just the people in the company um, and there are products certainly out there that, that begin that, um, that, that uh, experience. So, you know, I think they're going to get better, easier, more commonly um, used than we might have seen in past. Um, And I think we're going to see a real double down on what the values of the organisation are, what's really important to us as a company and how do we talk about that? How do we embody that? If we imagine that some people maybe never or very, very rarely come to the office, how do we extend what it is to be part of that organisation to those people who are distant? Um, And I think we're going to expect our leaders to personally personify what it is that's important to us in the organisation. Leading by example is going to become very, very, you know, high priority. Um, you know, this is who we are. This is what we do. Uh, you know, this is how we personify what's important to us. And then, of course, you know, planned events, ways to engage people very, very deliberately you know, think the annual picnic, but in some virtual sense, such that anybody can participate no matter where they are, what their circumstance is, you know, very deliberate community and cultural building events that are available to everybody in the organisation. So I think we're going to see shifts uh, enabled by technology, a little bit of a shift in the role of the office, and a shift in the way we think about our community and culture at work. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for illustrating that, painting the picture of what it might be. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with, you all have a tremendous amount of information. As we say, you don't hoard your information. Um, is it, is it, it's cushmanandwakefield.com is the website. Right. And you all have right. podcasts, infographics, how-to guides, articles. Yeah. Great, great information up there. And more coming every day. Well, Antonia, I, uh, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for, for sharing this information and for helping everyone get back to work. We really appreciate it. It's been my pleasure to share with you today, Phil. Thanks so much for inviting me. Best wishes, everybody. Back to work. Thanks so much. This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.